your cake online. Hello, hello. What is up, Cake Nation? And welcome back to the Chemistry Cake Online Podcast, where chatting about chemistry has never been sweeter. Chemistry Cake is online, and today airs the fifth episode in our biochemistry chemical biology season. To recap, we had Heather Masson Forsyth chatting about LC8 proteins, Kayla Wilson chatting it up about sea sponges and isoprenoids, Misael Romero Reyes discussing aptamers and polymer membranes, and Hannah Rutledge talking about nitrogenase and curious metal clusters. Today's sweet guest received his bachelor's degree at the University of California in Irvine in chemistry and is currently a PhD student in chemistry at the University of California in San Diego. Folks, I am really excited for today's sweet guest to be on the show. So would you help me give my friend a warm welcome, Carlos Vesquez. Carlos, I am so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. How have you been? It's such a pleasure to, to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I'm doing particularly well today. Thank you. Oh, that's How are you? good to hear. That's super yeah. sweet. Uh, <laughs> okay, so chemistry. I have to bring this up because when I read this, I was absolutely floored, but I wanted to ask you about your favorite molecule because mm -hmm. when you had described it earlier, I thought that was just the coolest thing. So Carlos, would you mind telling the listeners at home what your favorite molecule is and why it is your favorite? Sure. Uh, my favorite molecule is a compound called ethyl 2 terbutoxycarbonyl oxyaminocyanoacetate. And this is otherwise known as Bach-Oxima. And so the reason why this is my favorite molecule is because at UC Irvine, which is where I, I, I got my undergraduate degree from, I had the pleasure of being one of the first in, or the first in the world to purify this compound. And it's published now, which you could look up. It's on journal. It's in the Journal of Organic Chemistry on ACS. And... And uh, honestly, the reason why this compound is so important and why it's, it's, it's like the experience that came from working with this compound. Uh, I was an undergrad, first time I worked in organic chemistry research, and it always reminds me of my mentor that I had, uh, Dr. Mark Richardson, who is a phenomenal mentor. He was a postdoctorate scholar at the time, and it was always just a pleasure learning organic chemistry from him and, and you know, being his mentee. So it's more of a sentimental value for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. That's so cool. The, the first in the world to, mm -hmm. to, to, to isolate and purify this. It's crazy, yeah. It was That's insane. Carlos, amazing. And wow. I know you do a lot of NMR stuff too. So mm -hmm. when, you get that, when you get that clean NMR, you understand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> understand. It's just like, it was breathtaking, honestly. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Okay. So, so what does this molecule do? Sure. So it was originally thought to be a peptide coupling reagent. And so what that is, is it's uh, when you're working with a lot of peptide therapeutics, you try to combine amino acids together and in, in a racemization free way. So basically we have an L conformation and an R conformation of amino acids, but our bodies can only take up a certain what's called an enantiomer. 
the, so the other enantiomer, the opposite, would be either have unwanted health effects or, you know, be toxic to our human body. So for peptide therapeutics, it's, important, it's especially important to combine two amino acids together in a way where it doesn't compromise the chiral center. And so mm-hmm. what this compound does, Barcoxima, it was originally thought to be able to combine these two amino acids together in a racemization-free, epimerization-free way. So it turns out my, my mentor, Mark Richardson, Dr. Mark Richardson, who I just talked about, he wanted to use this compound uh, for precisely that, to combine two amino acids together, but it wasn't working. And it turns out that the original mention of this Bach-Oxima compound was extremely unpure. So he tried to work with it in the laboratory, couldn't purify it. Um, it was it was extremely dirty. And what I mean by this is just like, if you try to purify Bach-Oxima, you come up with so many different types of compounds. So what we did, where I came in, is we basically came up with a new kind of protocol or or if you're if you want to you know you're you're so into chemistry and and cooking we Mm -hmm. came up with a new recipe and our recipe that gave us uh this pure compound what we did was um it was it turns out that it wasn't good for peptide coupling Mm -hmm. but it was good for um esterification reactions so combining an alcohol into a carboxylic group combining those two so it's beautiful because it didn't do what it was supposed to, but we found a, a specialized niche for this compound after we purified it. That's so cool. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that is a lot of chemistry for you. <laughs> I know. I, that's why it's called the chemistry. Okay. Right. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm really excited about this. This is yeah, this me too. So, so is this what you're working on currently or what oh, are you working no. on? I completely switched fields. I'm working on genome editing technology. So more of the more on the chemical biology side and genome editing to me is like it's extremely fascinating. It's extremely up and coming. Mm-hmm. And you know, the the potential uh applications to genome editing and moving in the future can are really exciting. It's like almost sci-fi like, you know. So that's what I'm working on right now. So what is genome editing? Okay, yeah. So genome editing allows us to make specific changes in human cells. Hmm. So there are many different types of genome editing techniques that have been like have been established throughout the years, but the most recent one and the most uh, you know exciting one has been what's called base editing, which has been invented, which was invented by my advisor, Dr. Alexis Kamor. So essentially, it's a genome editing tool that is going to allow researchers to convert one DNA base to another without cutting the DNA. So maybe before I explain like what more, what base editing is, maybe we could, maybe like we could start off with what DNA is, right? Yeah. So DNA, I would argue, is like the most precious molecule that humans and other organisms have because it's the chemical code that is a hereditary piece of information that gets passed on from generation to generation. And this chemical code is composed of A, C, T's, and G's. And so this A, C, T, and G basically makes up what is called the gene, and a gene 
essentially contains all the genetic information that one individual has. So a lot of the uh, a lot of the genes or a lot of diseases that pe- that humans have are caused by a single DNA base in a particular gene, and so you can consider this like a misspelling in um, in our genetic code that makes us prone to developing diseases. So base editors have the potential to either fix a point mutation that is involved in a disease, or if you want to study what that mutation does in a human cell, you're able to do that. That, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Yeah, that's incredible. Really. First and foremost, backtracking to um, the fact that Dr. Alexis Comore uh, invented base editing, which is incredible because, folks, she is a professor at UCSD. I, I've had conversations with her. That just blows my mind, mm-hmm. first and foremost. And secondly, to be able to do this without disrupting well perhaps not disrupting but without destroying the dna is incredible that's wow okay she's an inspiration for sure oh absolutely (laughs) very talented very uh powerful extremely smart and and the best one of the best you know maybe i'm biased by this but she's an extremely extremely great mentor to me Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and we love we love great mentorship. We do. We love to see it. Yes. So Carlos, genome editing. This sounds like a f- fairly broad mm-hmm. uh, kind of umbrella term of of research. So what do you do specifically? So I I use base editing to kind of all right. Let me let me backtrack. All right. So we have the ability to sequence our DNA. And that basically means we're able to find the genetic code in our DNA and our genes. And so what if like one day in the near future, Cake, you sequence your DNA and you find that you have a mutation in a particular gene? Now, the question is, is this a cause for concern? Is it is it going to eventually lead to an early onset of cancer or is it completely harmless? Mm-hmm. Right. So that's what my research focuses on. I'm using base editing to install or create mutations in DNA repair proteins to basically find out or determine if they may or may not lead to a a certain disease. Hmm. That's really fascinating. So are you like, are you looking for a specific disease or are you just seeing if it leads to any Mm-hmm. Plethora of diseases. Yeah, that's a very good question. And um, right now, I'm focusing on 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 a DNA repair enzyme that, with when people have mutations to this DNA repair enzyme, they tend to develop colorectal cancer. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to cure colorectal cancer by any means. I'm trying to understand which mutations lead or are are going to give people a likelihood of developing this colorectal cancer. The reason why this is important is because the vast majority of, of DNA or, or mutations that we know about haven't been classified or, or, or what are known as variances of uncertain significance. So what this means is clinicians, researchers don't know if this particular mutation leads to a disease or why it does. So that's what I'm focusing on, um, trying to kind of understand why this uh, DNA repair protein, when it has mutations, it, it leads to um, colorectal cancer. 
And there are many, many mutations that have been that have popped up essentially um, throughout the years in patients. That's insane. That is so cool. It's a new world, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy oh. exciting. That's so <laughs> so. Am I allowed to ask about the process of this? So, what exactly do you do in order to? Essentially, what I'm asking is, what is the process of base editing? Yeah, so pro- so there's two major components, basically, the, the way that we use it. There is the base editing enzyme that's basically, I'm not sure if your audiences are familiar with CRISPR, which is um, CRISPR-Cas9. That's, the gene, that's one of the genome editing techniques that, that has come up recently. So the first component to base editing has a CRISPR-Cas9 protein. Mm-hmm. And that is essentially um, catalytically inactivated. So basically, it will bind to the DNA. And our DNA is kind of a, it's a double helix, right? So it's kind of like a ladder that's been twisted upon itself. Um, so this enzyme will bind to DNA, unwind it. And exp- at the same time, while it's unwinding it, it won't cut the DNA. And so instead, it kind of exposes a four base window that's, that's going to be modified by essentially a modifying enzyme that's tethered or attached to this Cas9 enzyme. And so this four base pair window will be, these bases will get deaminated. And then by DNA replication, that's where we're able to get um, a point mutation installed. So that's, that's one major component to base editing. The other one is what's called a guide RNA. So this guide RNA will specifically direct the base editor component to a particular location in our genome. So it's not happening randomly. It's it's precise and only at that location, theoretically, like that's the best case scenario, only at that genomic location, that's where the base will get modified. And so what basically what we do are, are insert DNAs into human cells and then basically let these uh, components go to work for us. And we just, I observe and I try to try to collect the cells that have the installed point mutations in, into them, the ones that I'm interested in. We did come up with a protocol. So to explain how researchers or how the general public can use these base editing techniques in the laboratory. And I'm excited to say that um, hopefully it'll get published very, very soon. We, we've uh, submitted it for, yeah, we've submitted it. So hopefully... I could follow up on that question with the actual, you know, something that you could look at and your audience could look at. <laughs> for sure. Let me know when that, that publication drops. Yeah. Extremely exciting. For sure. That's insane. That's oh, first and foremost, super cool. That's phenomenal. CRISPR Cas9, I remember when I was an undergraduate, mm-hmm. one of the assignments or at least it was an extra credit assignment was to read this paper on CRISPR Cas9. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that it was relatively new. Mm-hmm. I, I looked at the publication date and I was like, oh, that's actually yeah. relatively recent. Yeah. And at the time, because I didn't really know what I was reading, I didn't understand it. I didn't I didn't realize how groundbreaking it was. That was the first thing. The second thing, um, I had a question regarding, you know, these these protocols. Is this a rather straightforward 
procedure or is this is this complex because like i'm thinking about you know inserting dna into a cell mm -hmm. and obviously it's not as easy as just like injecting a cell with with dna so how does that work yeah so the 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 audience that we're targeting or we targeted for this protocol is uh like a novice researcher so a first year grad student somebody that doesn't have the most experience in the laboratory but they'll able be able to follow this protocol hopefully so it's basically based on uh, what are called plasmids circular pieces of dna that contain those two component components that i just talked about and what what basically happens is once you have those two components ready you can insert them into human cells by what's called a cationic lipid basically which these are like um these are missiles or, or, you know, lipids that surround the DNA. And because you have uh, nonpolar, nonpolar interactions with this lip, lipid uh, containing DNA and the cell membrane of the human cells, you're able to kind of insert it that way. So once these two components are inserted into the human cells, that's when now um, you're basically monitoring if if the point mutation has been installed because they'll, they'll basically go to work on the genome of the human cells. They're, they're directed to the nucleus of the cell. And then that's, that's the, that's essentially the, the broad overview of, of how these, how you get these uh, components into the, into human cells. That's so cool. I think what blows my mind is that typically when I think about inserting quote unquote DNA into a cell, I immediately think E. coli, right? <laughs> but this is a human cell, i.e. it's a eukaryotic cell. And so these cells are, I would, I would imagine, or well, I know are far more complex than a bacterium. And so I just, it's like my mind is trying to wrap itself around this concept because, you know, I, I started off as a small molecule chemist and I was like, yeah, this is fun. And then like the molecules got just a little bit bigger. And I was like, ah, these are really big molecules. And now I'm working with polymers that are on like the nanoscale. Mm. And just thinking about cells is just like, this is too big for my brain to process all of this. <laughs> like, like just bacteria are mind blowing to me. And then thinking about like human cells with organelles, the mitochondrion, which is the powerhouse of the cell. Yes, I got it into the podcast. <laughs> um, it's just so mind blowing and it's so fascinating. And oh, it is. oh, sweet friend, that was wow. This is so incredible. Like this is, and I'm so stoked, right, that you're able to chat with me. Uh, but it it does look like our chat is nearing its end. But but before we do, and um, I have one last and very important question for you. Are you ready for it? I, I'm so ready. Okay. What is your favorite cake flavor and why? Mm. <laughs> My favorite cake flavor is uh, Tres Leches cake. So I'm Latino. Um, this Tres Leches cake is a very, very like, it's basically a cake that has sweet milk in, mm -hmm. inside of it. But it's not just milk. It's like a very soft and sweet cake. And so, you know, it has a lot of history with me. That's what I grew up. That's my favorite cake that I um, grew up favoring. So if you ever go to L.A., 
there's there's a bakery in, in in what's called Huntington Park. It's a little city, and there's um a lot of Latino population there. Go to Diana's Bakery. They have the best uh, tres leches cake that you know I've ever tasted. So <laughs> that's noted my for sure. Because I also grew up in the LA County, so that definitely <laughs> will be on the list. It's funny that you mentioned that. So folks at home know that my favorite cake flavor is tiramisu. Mm-hmm. And um, there's this place in Studio City, which is in the LA County. Um, I believe it's called Pagliacci's. It's just cute little Italian restaurant. Incredible tiramisu I've ever had. It was just so rich and decadent but also light and kind of refreshing and I don't people are thinking like cake how can a thing be both decadent and rich but also (laughs) light and refreshing like how is that and I was like I I kid you not like I just sat there and closed my eyes so that I could enhance my taste I don't know if that actually works that way but like I just you know psychologically thinking that that it would work that way and it was just just the co- like notes of coffee just came through the chocolate. The textures were just on point. The m- mascarpone cheese, like, oh my goodness. So <laughs> like, I think I'm going to need to start asking people like what their favorite cake flavors are and why and where they've had the best of this cake now. Yeah. So that we, have, we have recommendations to try these cakes. I definitely need to check out that tiramisu. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Holy cannolis. Wow. (laughs) Sweet friend, what a sweet answer. Thank you so, so much for joining me today to talk about your science. This was was really a lot of fun and really informative. I learned so much today. Um, To the listeners at home, thank you for joining us today. We certainly hope that you had as much fun as we did. Um, If you would like to follow the many chemical biological uh, adventures of Carlos Vasquez. You are welcome to follow him on Twitter at Carlos A. Vasquez underscore, which will be linked in the description of this podcast. Um, additionally, if you would like to hop aboard the hype train, choo choo, you are welcome to follow me as well at Chemistry Cake. Alrighty, folks, this is your friendly reminder to keep the hype alive, uh, to stay hydrated, and to edify our village. Thanks for tuning in, Cake Nation. This is Chemistry Cake, signing off.